those lovely notes from Giuseppe Verdi. Order has been restored. <laughs> I go away for one week, and Richard thinks he's some NWO badass. Uh, this this is the Syria sit down, not the NWO takeover. They, I think, I think what it is, Richard, is that they're just bankrupt. That they were trying to hijack our podcast to try to gain some awareness that they're still around. Is that what it is? Yeah, money's tight these days, you know. So they're trying to get in any way they can. <laughs> and that is uh, fellow council consultant Richard Carmen. I see that you made it back in time from your cameo playing in goal for Sampdoria today. Yes, yes. I had to get the gloves off, change a little my uniform, but I'm I'm here. I'm ready. And you didn't get it dirty, so no, uh, no, 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 no. I didn't need to move. It might. Yeah, I was gonna say it might as well have been you in goal today. So, uh, but uh, but uh, how are you otherwise? Um, I was doing well until about two forty-five Eastern time. Then Milan and Roma kicked off. So, yeah, yeah, day was going all right until that happened. Of course, uh, Syria sit down. Of course, we are part of World Football Index, a uh, podcast designed by fans for fans of Calcio at the highest level. And you are in for a treat this week. We have a guest panelist that we're really excited to have. Uh, she contributes to the Football Pink, the Gentleman Ultra, and the Boot Room. Uh, she has her own blog called The Counter Press, an alternative view on world football, uh, and came highly recommended by previous guest pal- panelist and friend of the pod, Mark Neal, also of Gentleman Ultra, for not sure what that counts for, but we like Mark, so I'm sure we're going to uh, enjoy uh, the input and the expertise of Laura Bradburn. Benvenuto, Laura. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh mark's checks in the post (laughs) (laughs) mark will be the first and only person that gets paid for this podcast then (laughs) (laughs) um we've got uh, we've got much to cover we've got a small matter of champions league recap and preview uh happy to uh hear that uh richard scott and myself were all dead wrong about the first leg uh we'll go over that and also take a quick look at the second leg match week 35 recap some big games uh going on in there and uh, we will have a Q&A with Laura on uh, a piece that she recently penned about the greatest player ever to play in the Premier League. I'm not going to say who. You're just going to have to listen to the pod now, aren't you? Ooh, um, very so oh, I got to tease. Got to make them listen to everything. You can't just <laughs> let them fast forward and skip and, you know, and all this other stuff. What fun would that be? That's so right, that's right. We just ask for a little bit of your time to get through the Champions League, to get through Match Week 35. We promise you uh, we will reveal who that player is. So if you read the article, you probably already know. Uh, so let's uh, jump in and start with that uh, Champions League recap uh, and uh, take a quick look at the second leg. But uh, we will rewind to Wednesday. It was Monaco and Juventus, and they ended in a way, as I said, none of us predicted. Richard having no faith in the old lady and calling a 2-1 two, two, two win for the Principality. Two two goals, Richard. Really, Juventus hasn't even given up more than two goals the entire competition. Yeah, and they're going to give up two goals in one game. Yeah, shame on me. Uh, I went for a one-one draw. I was trying to be, you know, somewhat realistic. I was still fearful of Monaco's attack. Well, uh, silly for us to forget that this was Gianluigi Buffon's hundredth Champions League game, and whenever there's a milestone, a clean sheet seems to follow. Uh, we've already had that in his. Uh, you know, a thousandth overall appearance when he played for the national team for Italy. That was a pure clean sheet. His birthday against Sassuolo, clean sheet. So, of course, under Champions League game, clean sheet. Um, Juventus walked away 2-0 winners and not just have a foot in the final, they probably have half of a body in the final. And it was in the 29th minute where the old lady struck first with one of the great team goals, not only this season, but maybe in UEFA Champions League history, finished by the standard 
Va via Dani Alves, prova col tacco, dentro, per il piazzato, per l'1-0 Juve, per l'azione perfetta, per il trentesimo in stagione del Pipita, per un gol pesantissimo e bellissimo. Gonzalo Higuain at the end of a brilliant build-up, the penultimate move, a backheel by Dani Alves. Juventus takes a 1-0 lead at halftime and Just before the hour mark, it was Dani Alves to the standard again. Dani Alves, già Higuain in mezzo. Palla per lui, Higuain! Higuain! 2-0 Juve! La nona doppietta stagionale! Il gol numero 31! 2-0 for La Vecchia Signora, and that's how it would finish. Uh, clean sheet yet again for Juventus. 621 consecutive goalless minutes for Juventus in the UEFA Champions League. Of all competitions, the last time they conceded a goal in the Champions League, Barack Obama was still U.S. president. Let that sink in. Uh, Laura, I'm going to start with you on this and with this goalless run. I mean, is there? I mean, the Juventus League, Juventus and the Champions League. I mean, Champions League itself, goals everywhere you look. In most cases, when you talk about attacks like Barcelona, Bayern Munich, um, Real Madrid, uh, you know how impressive uh is this goalless run that Juventus have had in this competition I think like you say it's it's super impressive because it's the Champions League and because of the standard of the teams that they're they're coming up against I think where it really came into everybody's consciousness of just how well they were doing with the the lack of goals conceded was when they went up against Barcelona, they went up against the MSN and didn't concede one goal across those two games. Yeah. That just really proved exactly how good this defensive unit is. Um, <clears throat> I think perhaps there was elements of their group that uh, was a slightly weaker group than they might have come up against, but certainly there's still a job there to be done when the, when the teams are of the standard that they're playing against. And I think... I think they've proved that as a unit, they're they're pretty hard to break down. Yeah, I mean, when you keep Messi, Suarez, and Neymar out for 180 minutes, that's that's saying something, and that's just a part of, you know, what they've accomplished in this feat. How helpful is it that this unit of players, um, and in in leg one it was Buffon and the BBC, Barzali, Bonucci, Chiellini, um, that this is Juventus to Italy and back to Juventus, and the continuity, you know, is just there. Yeah, consistency is everything, especially in defence, I think. Um, I imagine at this stage they don't even have to tell each other what they're doing and and as a unit they all seem to know and what helps with that is obviously that to a man they're all world-class footballers and I think the less they have to think about what they're doing and the more that they're relying on instinct, they just uh, they don't really have to do very much in, in order to deliver the standard of performance that they're given. Indeed, indeed. Um, and the rest of the team around them uh, just seems to buy into it. I mean, you just see, uh, you know, Richard, it just the understanding that they have for each other. And we, you and I were concerned about the, the, the lack of having Sami Kadira for this game, you know, who plays a little bit of this role and protects those defenders to an extent. I don't think these defenders even need protection after uh, what we saw in the first leg. What do you think? No, I mean, all these players buy into the system. They're all in. I mean, they obviously want this. They all have the same, you know, objective in mind, which is to win the Champions League title. You know, when you have guys like Manzukic, who just gives her all, and, you know, he's 
everyone called him lazy in the past, and he's probably one of the most hardworking players on this Juventus team. When he's buying in, you know the rest of the team is going to fall in with him. And, you know, it's a completely team effort when it comes to defense. So it's not just the BBC who has to worry about defense or, you know, Kadira when he's there. It's everybody's buying in. You got Dybala, you got, you know, Cuadrado, Cuadrado when he's out there. Um, the wingbacks, you know, everybody's pitching in to play defense, even Higuain. So um, when, when that happens, you know, having a loss like Kadira is not that big of an impact because everyone else is there to pitch in. So, you know, good on, good on Allegri to get his guys to buy in. Laura, do you think Monaco were flat, or did or, or did they try to have ideas against this Juventus defense, and they just they they finally are punching a little bit above their weight more than they have against other opponents? I would say I've seen a lot of Monaco over the the whole Champions League run, and I would say this is the team that they've given the most respect to. I think they've played without any fear against anyone else. They've they've attacked. They've showing their skill and their ability to score goals. And I would say the game against Juventus was the first time that I thought that they were slightly intimidated by what they came up against. Whether whether that's the case or whether they just couldn't break them down, I don't know. But certainly I, I seemed to sense amongst the Monaco team that that they were a little bit afraid of what Juventus were. And perhaps, like you say, it was maybe a little bit punching above their weight for the first time. You know, with that said, though, you know, Monaco had their chances. I mean, Buffon was brilliant in this matchup. The few chances that Monaco had, Buffon was there. I mean, he was standing true. It's like we said, it's hundredth league game in Champions League. I mean, it's it's impressive. You know, like you said, they 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 were they were definitely in, you know in awe of Juventus because they knew that this was a team much better than anything they faced before. But the, you know, Falcao had his chances. Uh, Mbappe had his chances for sure. So. You know, this is this is still a dangerous team. I think these guys should, you know, so watch out for them. But I'm gonna watch my words from here on out. You know, with my predictions. <laughs> and Richard, uh, a, a man whose name is not going to show up in the stat sheet on these goals. It was Danny Alves to uh, Gonzalo Higuain, um, Paulo Dybala. You know, suddenly forgotten when you consider it was like I said, Danny Alves had the two assists, Gonzalo Higuain had the two goals, but. He was every bit instrumental on both calls. For a second, I thought you were going to say my name. I was like, for sure, you're not going to see my name on the score sheet. Uh, but no, <laughs> but yeah, no, no. Dabala, he is the guy who pulls the strings. He is the quarterback, if you will. You know, different sport, whatever. But um, he is instrumental. He seems a he's kind of like a chess master, where you know he knows the play is going to happen before he makes the next pass, and he's like setting this all up. It's this big orchestra. Um, so you know, everything. He's so instrumental in the game. He controls the tempo. You know, he just finds the right pass. If you know, if he doesn't make the passes that he made, then the goals wouldn't happen. It's it's all him, and he's very, he's 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 a freaking chess master. That's all I can say. I mean, he he's planning everything perfectly, and it seems to going as he wants. Laura, let's let's talk about DiBala real quick here, um, because I think his involvement in the two goals sums up why he is so sought after and why he's had such an emergence this season on the first goal in that buildup. You saw his class, uh, with that back heel off the bounce. Um, on the second goal, you saw him work to help win the ball back. So you have this combination of skill, you know, and the underestimated part of him, his work ethic, uh, you know, comment a little bit about, uh, you know, those things. I think these are what happened on these two goals with Paulo Dybala, I think are symbols of his all around game. Yeah, I think um, I think in general this season, uh, up until this season, he, he was 
the next big thing, the rising star, the potential that was there. I think the difference with him this season is he's actually delivered in the big games. He's had an impact both in attack and defence. And I think he's shown this season that he's ready to make that jump from potential to actual, you know, world star that could be, you know, potentially the replacement for Messi, for Argentina, um, and certainly could lead the line for Juventus for years to come. And it will be years to come. They've locked him up on an extension. Uh, so that's good. That's good news. Um, you know, the return leg is at the J on Tuesday. Uh, you know, they, they've been in this spot before. They were just in this spot in the round of 16. They're bringing home a 2-0 advantage. Uh, you know, so for all of us, it, it should be a formality. And Juventus should be playing in Cardiff on June 3rd. Uh, but this is the Champions League. Um, you know, Laura, I'll come back to you. What does Juventus have to accomplish? What's the one thing in this rematch against Monaco that they have to accomplish to make sure Monaco doesn't overtake this tie? Well, I think I think like you said, it's almost a, a foregone conclusion in that I think I was right in saying I, I read a statistic today that no team has overturned a two-goal deficit in the second leg of a semi-final in the Champions League. So um, Monaco would be rewriting history if they did manage to do that. Um, but I think there's a chance that they might be able to, if only for the fact that they have nothing to lose in this second leg. They've got nothing to defend against. They've got nothing to protect. So they might be at their most dangerous with the shackles off and the ability to just go forward the way they have done earlier in the tournament. Uh, Richard, how about you? Does does you know? And let's talk about maybe how we might think uh, Allegri comes out. Kadir is eligible, so you know he's going to be in there. Um, does he go back to the BBC or is it just the BC with Barzali out? You know, why break? Well, you know, before, you know, before this matchup, I would have thought he would have done with a 4-3-2 or 4-2-3-1. Um, but mm -hmm. he obviously went with the BBC and it worked wonders. I say keep that same formation because this Monaco team can score and can score lightning quick. So keep the same form, you know, formula you use in the first leg. You know, pretty much keep everything. Don't let keep everything within yourself. Play within your within your scheme. Don't try to do anything out of the norm. You know, play on the counter if opportunity arises. But you know, do what you do. You let the BBC shut down. You know that attack, and you know just build on that. Keep possession. Uh, if they control possession like they did in the first leg, it should be a foregone formality, and it should be uh, a clear path to the to the finals. Okay. Um and I'll, I'll, I'll admit this, when I saw the team news for uh, the first leg in Monaco and saw that Barzali was starting, I'm thinking about Kylian Mbappe and I'm thinking about Lemar and I'm thinking about Bernardo Silva and saying, yeah, yeah, man, uh, some of the performances that Barzali has put in this season, this is a concern uh, because there are times where, you know, he's still a very experienced defender and has shown his class through the years. But there have been games this season where he looks like he's running in cement boots. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he let his experience kind of dictate how he positioned himself in that game uh, at the Stade Louis Deux. And I would be comfortable with him and, and comfortable with a three at the back if Allegri chose to do that. Uh, where prior to that, um, I just... Uh, <laughs> I was sweating it out when I saw that in the team news. I said, "This is how we're gonna. This is how they're gonna answer to not having Kadir available. They're gonna slide Barzali in there." And I just, I thought he was gonna get, you know, run up and down by Mbappe and some of these other 
well, some of the other Pacer guys that Monaco had. Well, it was an insertion of Danny Alves that helped him out. It's not just Berzali back there and he has to worry about Mbappe or whomever. Um, you do have that help with you know, on the wings, and which is uh, that's why that formation is so good because you know you have um, Alexandra on one side and Danny Alves on the other side. So yes, it is a three-man defense. But really, it's a five-man defense. You know, those guys are there. They have the pace to keep, you know, keep up with with those with those wingers and and, and attackers. So, you know, while we think it's just you know the BBC, it's a little bit more than that. And and all that goes down to Allegri and his tactics being spot on as usual. Right. And Laura, we have talked about Alexandro on this podcast several times. He's we have our Squadra Finora, which has been our team of the season so far, that we've revised. And in each edition, he's been in it on the left-hand side. Um, the thing that amazes me about Alexandro, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing with him, is what a good defender he has become since joining Juventus from Porto. Yeah, I think that's true. And I actually think that perhaps uh, one of the things that maybe contributed to that, especially this season to him improving as a defender is perhaps getting to work with someone like Danny Alves, who for all he gets the plaudits and the praise for being such a good attacker, he himself is a world-class right-back, a Mm -hmm. world-class defender as well. And I'm sure Alexandro can't help but learn from somebody with that experience and that skill and that'll only help take him to the next level. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anybody care to throw a score out at this game here on Tuesday? It's a, we're all going to throw something out that just gets you. They threw. I'll go. Juventus will win this one nil. Um, it'll be much like the Porto game. You know, they're going to just manage the ninety minutes, and they're going to get an odd goal somewhere um, against Porto in the second leg. It was a, a penalty from Dybala. Uh, maybe that happens again. Uh, maybe they score on a set piece. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, one of the BBC come forward and get their head on a ball, uh, something to that effect. But I'll, I'll say, Juve win this 1-0, they win 3-0 on aggregate. Laura, what do you say? I'm going to give Mbappe a nice little send-off and give him a goal, and I'll go one each. Okay, okay. So you're going to go 3-1 on aggregate uh, for Juventus, yeah. and you're going to see that that that, that uh, goal of streak will end before the final, which psychologically might not be a horrible thing. So, um, Richard, how about you? I think I've learned my lessons from the first leg. I think I'm going to go uh, <laughs> 2 nothing to the old lady. Okay, so you're going to go 4 nil on aggregate. All right, so we are all putting Juventus into the final. Why wouldn't we? This is the Serie A sit-down. Uh, <laughs> go to at Serie A sit-down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us your thoughts on the game coming up on Tuesday at the J. Let's get into match week 35. Richard, that that uh, transition music. It's not, you know, I, we got to talk about Milan a little bit later. I, put in some transit. I hope you put in some transition music this time that is like sad and like last rites kind of stuff because <laughs> something like that. Yeah, because the the, the, the bubblegum stuff that you put out there. This isn't a happy week, not for Milan fans at least. <laughs> so, we have to think outside uh, the box for the rest of the fans of Syria. <laughs> I know we gotta care. We gotta care about. We gotta care about everybody. So, um, but anyway, but we'll. Uh, you know, I, I guess we'll live with it. it, it you know, the uh, the teams on the capital 
in particular will enjoy that transition music and supporters of the teams on the Capitals. So we'll leave it for them because uh, between the two of them, they scored 11 goals. And we will get into that later. Uh, but uh, let's start with Saturday's action. We will actually go to the second of the two games on Saturday first because it was the Derby della Mole, uh, Juventus and Torino. Uh, it ended with a share of the points and a little controversy. It was actually the visitors who opened the scoring on arguably the goal of the weekend and maybe free kick of the season from Adam Lijic. La rincorsa di Lijic, la battuta con il destro, immobile netto, si sblocca il derby della mole. Prima rete in carriera di Lijic alla Juve, dal peso specifico immenso. Torino 1, Juve 0 allo stadium. That's the good news for Torino. The bad news for the Granata is Afriaqua was given a second booking just five minutes later for a studs-up challenge and sent off. Replay showed, however, that Aqua clearly won the ball. Laura, was that a deserved second yellow for you, or did Torino get, as we say, Juved? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I had no issue with the tackle whatsoever. I didn't think it was a foul. I didn't think it was a booking, much less a sending off. Uh, I understand people's uh, concerns about them perhaps getting UV. Did you say my Twitter timeline seems to light up anytime something like this happens? Uh, <laughs> you too, but, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I don't think it was a sending off. And I think uh, as it proved, it had quite a massive impact on the game. Yes, it did, because uh, it left Torino down. Uh, to uh, ten men and uh, Richard, if uh, I, how on, on on a scale of one to ten, judge the restraint that Mihailovic showed after that incident happened. Ten being uh, uh, that's the most restrained he can possibly be, because uh, <laughs> I think the player Mihailovic, I, I think he would have, I think it would have put a boot in one of the officials, don't you? Yeah, no, that, that I think that was a, we we know him pretty well from his days in Milan. We know that that's probably the most restraint you can probably ever see him. You know, I fully expected him to put a, a foot through the official's chest. Honestly, <laughs> the, fact oh, that he, the fact that he didn't do that, uh, I, that's, that's great on him. I mean, man, I, I would have yeah. been I would have been living myself. So I don't know how he even was able to stay so composed. Man, that was that was a terrible call. I mean, that was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, if, obviously we have the the courtesy of the replay. But even if you're mm-hmm. watching in real time, even in real time, I thought he had the he got the ball the whole time, and then the replays only showed that. So I can only imagine what Mihalovic was thinking. But man, oof, terrible call, terrible call. Rule of thumb, officials that are listening to this, for those of us that have played and coached this game, if the ball is traveling at a reasonably fast pace after the challenge, directionally from the uh, tackling player's foot. That means he won the ball, okay? <laughs> if it if it's one of those little dribbles, then yeah, he probably crushed the guy and 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 maybe got the ball after the fact. That's usually how these kind of things work. So uh, I'm in agreement. I think it was unfortunate. Uh, it put a damper on what could have potentially been a very milestone situation. Juventus has this lengthy, unbeaten run at the J Stadium in Syria, and we thought it was going to end. Juventus were struggling to break down Torino. This is the first time in my first time all season and maybe first time in my life that I've ever spoken about Torino as someone struggling to break them down. Um, but uh, the standard came on as a substitute and he restored parity in the 90th minute. Palla che raggiunge Pjanic dentro a cercare Guain, si gira con il destro! 
il Pipita, secondo minuto di recupero, la sentenza Higuain, doppietta nel match d'andata e adesso riporta in parità il derby della Mole. Richard, he's not at the top of the Capocannieri race, uh, but Gonzalo Higuain is finding some scoring form. He's at 24. Aiden Dzeko is at 27, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, can he catch him? Is he the favorite still? When he initially you know, signed with with Juventus, I said he's going to win the Capocannieri. He has to. He's got all this talent around him. And while he did you know, so marvelously at Napoli, this is obviously a step up for him as far as support. Uh, with the passing. Now, the season didn't go to start. He had to adjust his new teammates, and Belotti and Jekyll got off to a flying start. And he's been in the race, you know, for sure. Now he's only one goal behind Belotti, if memory serves correct, and three behind Jekyll. He's in the race, and in, as of late, you know, those three, the Jekyll and, and Belotti have been struggling to get goals, and Iwain's been getting them in bunches, you know, as, you know, he's been getting two, two goals a game pretty much for the last, you know, month. So, he's back in the race. I would say look out for those other two because if they don't get their, their game together, he's going to pass them. Um, he's, got, he's obviously got a nose for the goal. And he's obviously now he's in sync with his teammates. Uh, I mean, Jacko, Belotti, get your game together. Otherwise, Gonzalo is going to win the title this year. Laura, what do you think? Uh, Igwein every bit into this now? Uh, I think on form, yeah, definitely. Um Jekyll had such a strong start to the season, so did Belotti. Um, and Jekyll seems to be uh, carrying on that form. I think Belotti's perhaps fallen away a little bit. But um, Higuain just seems to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I don't really know how, because to me, he does not look like a footballer should look. But that's uh, maybe me passing a little bit of judgment on the guy. But certainly for a for a goal scorer, I think he's definitely in with a chance of, of finishing top scorer. And like you say, to do it two consecutive seasons uh, with two different clubs would be some achievement. Uh, ag- agreed. And, and, you know, obviously another game where Andrea Belotti doesn't score. Um, but let's uh, talk about him real quick. I actually uh, saw a tweet, and, and Richard and I know Marco Messina quite well from Italian Football TV. Um and uh, he made an excellent comment about uh, Andrea Bellotti in this game. Um, you know, it's not always about the stat sheet with Andrea Bellotti, and that's what makes him so good. It's what he gives to the team. And I, I, I tried to reinforce that in a retweet by saying, just look at what Bellotti did for the national team for Italy against Albania. He didn't get on the score sheet, but, you know, look at what he gives to a team when he's out there and why, you know, and that's part of why he sought after. Yeah, no, he's so instrumental to that team. Um, everyone looks at him and the name and saying, oh, he's just a goal scorer. No, he's more than that. He's got the pace to, you know, grab the ball at midfield and, you know, go out defenders and, and dish it out to the wingers. And he's also capable more than uh, receiving the ball and then uh, playing like an, a true target man. So he's got all the tricks of the trade. He's not, he's definitely a class player at this point, I would say. I fi- I'm finally going to say it. Um, he's definitely world class, and um, just the the fact that he can not only score but set up his teammates and do so much more that doesn't involve him scoring goals makes him a true like all around player. That's nice, Richard. But I was asking Laura. Oh, 
<laughs> well, and I must have I noticed. Do you, do you cut out, Richard, Richard, do you cut off your wife at dinner parties too? I do, I do, all the time. <laughs> Especially when no one talks to me. Laura, go ahead and talk. Laura, your uh, thoughts. Bellotti, it's not just about the stat sheet with him, is it? No, I don't think so. I think he's um he's got quite a muscular build. He's quite um a physical player in a lot of ways, but he does have skill as well. Um, he's he just seems able to work the final third in general outside the box as well as being a poacher inside the box. I think he, I think he gives more to the team that than just goals. But at the end of the day, sometimes as a striker, that's going to be the end thing that you're judged on. Um, whether whether people like it or not. But he is still delivering on that score. Um, it would be no shame to come behind Jekyll and Higuain in the scoring charts the way they've been this season. But yeah, he definitely gives more to the team than just goals. Agree with all uh, agree with all of that. Uh, I'm obviously uh, you know banging the Italian drum and hoping that he somehow finds a way to win this Capo Cananieri race. I you know, from the looks of it, he's gonna. He, I think he's gonna end up falling short. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see what happens. You never know. I mean, there's always that magical match week 38 when there's nothing to play for except trying to get somebody a, a scoring title. So, um, you know, you, you you might have that in mind. You never you never know. I'm not saying that there's gonna be collusion between Torino and whoever they play. You know, to help him put up five or anything like that. But uh, you know. I'm, I'm also not going to... This is Italy. I'm not going to roll it out. So, uh, I was going to say, wanna, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen in Italian football, does it? No. No, no. not at all. So <laughs> lily so lily white. I mean... <laughs> I mean, this 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 Afriaqua incident in this derby was just a total anomaly. I mean, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, um, uh, we actually had a question on Twitter from La Liga Gav. Uh, Gavin Haverty, our friend over at Sound of La Liga podcast. I... No reason why he's interested in this at all. He's a La Liga guy, but he did ask us and wants and is adamant that we talk about it on this podcast. So we're going to oblige him. Uh, Gavin, just this is the part where you get to listen now. Um, if Allegri moves on in the summer, and that's if in capital letters. I don't mean to give Juventini a heart attack. Uh, who would you think steps into the hot seat at the J? Uh, Richard, go first. Who do I think? Okay, so I think, well, the name that's been thrown around is Paulo Souza. Um, I don't think he would be a good fit just because I don't think he's that good of a manager. Honestly, they need a Juventus need a name, a big name. Um, and Paulo Souza is not that, not only in name, but also in tactics. And I just, I just don't, I don't see him as a good fit. Now, who would, who would be able to fill the roles of Allegri? Honestly, I, I, I don't know. And that's up to Juventini Brass. As a Milan fan, I wouldn't mind if Sousa became the manager because that would just mean someone else is going to win the Serie A title next season. And I'm sure <laughs> the other, other teams in the league are probably going to be happy if he, if he joins them too. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Laura, what do you think about this? I mean, there's been rumors about Allegri. Uh, I, I don't want to believe them because I think that, you know, if I'm Allegri, why would I leave the best job in Italy – uh, what might end up being one of the best jobs in Europe after this season is over with, um, you know, okay, fine. Money talks, uh, the prospect of doing something else that's, that's probably in play, but you know, I mean, you know, why would Allegri want to leave first and foremost? And then if he does, you know, who do you think, uh, who do you think is maybe best suited, uh, to fill his boots there at Juventus? 
Uh, yeah, I don't really know why Allegri would want to leave. The only thing that I can think is that, um, you know, if he, if he captured the Scudetto this season and the Champions League, you know, what else is there to achieve? He could go and do it again next season, but the chances of doing both again next season would be slim if he managed it. Um, so that might be a reason to leave, just purely the fact that um, achieving what he potentially could achieve this season next season would uh, be difficult but like you say I, I've, if I were him I'd be staying staying where I am and staying at what I think is one of the best teams in Europe, perhaps the best team in Europe this season um, in terms of where he would go even everybody's talking about Arsenal but there's no guarantees that Arsene Wenger um, would leave Arsenal um, at this point he's not confirmed anything or denied anything with regards to his contract so if Allegri did leave, it's not necessarily guaranteed that he's got a destination to go to at the moment, but I'm sure he would be in demand. Um, in terms of a replacement, I think a lot of Fiorentina fans would thank you if Paolo Sosa got the job because they, they could uh, find a replacement <laughs> of their own. Um, but I did actually, I was looking at this after I saw Gav's uh, tweet on Twitter and I actually found an article in a British newspaper from back in March suggesting that Spalletti might make the switch from Roma. I don't know how, I don't know where the source was for that, whether it's a possibility, but certainly I think that might be a good fit. And Spalletti is absolutely a good manager. The only thing that makes me think that might not happen is obviously we've got this guy Monkey who's come from uh, from Seville who could potentially take Roma to that next level with his ability in the transfer market so maybe want, uh, Spalletti wants to stick around in the capital to to see how that goes For me, no, I, we, we had a you know, for a few podcasts we had a segment called If You Are and Richard asked me if you are Massimiliano Allegri, do you take the Arsenal position? And I said no um, I said you know, as far as Arsenal is concerned and I'll say it again, why would you be want to be, why would you want to be the guy that follows Wenger? Um, you know, you know, Arsenal would have to go back to singing one nil to the Arsenal because that's how you know Allegri is going to try to set this team, set his team up. And the problem with that is, is Allegri, I don't think, has the person. The personnel's not there at Arsenal for Allegri to execute the kind of tactics he likes to execute. There would be a lot of changes that would have to be made. Um, who takes over? Uh, you know, I, it's 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 interesting because if you're looking right now on the peninsula. It's, it's really hard to, to try to figure anybody. I mean, I, I don't see Spalletti really being a very, very good fit there. Um, you know, and a lot of that is with his tactics. And he's a, he, is a, he is a good manager. He has gone and plied his trade uh, elsewhere and has had some reasonable success. Um, you know, I, 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 when Gavin asked this question, I just wrestled with it all afternoon and said, you know, who would replace Allegri? That's the interesting question. It's not whether Allegri goes. It's who's, who's next. Um, you know, there's talk that it could be Montella uh, could leave Milan for Juventus. If, you know, things get a little restless with the new ownership group, if they're not liking what they're currently seeing with Rossinetti, um, you know, you know, is it time has, has Eusebio Di Francesco cut his teeth enough at Sassuolo that he could take on a big gig like Juventus? Um, that's an interesting question. We've talked in several podcasts that Sassuolo look like a team that looks, that looks like a team that's just going to get blown up after this season. Uh, and might be trying to uh, survive relegation next season. Um, that might be a little far-reaching. 
you know, as far as a candidate for the uh, for the Juventus job. It just I think part of the problem is 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 Allegri has done so well and he's been in a position to do so well. Uh, but he's done so well with this Juventus team uh, over the last three seasons, reached a Champions League final. They're on their way to another one um, and uh, has won the Scudetto each season, has won Coppa Italia. Uh, that when he leaves, it's just you you can't just grab an elite manager to just come in and take over. It's going to be so hard. It, it, you're looking at who is that guy that might be ready to take that jump. I thought and I don't know, and, and Richard, you follow a little more Bundesliga than I do. Maybe Carlo Ancelotti twitches and he's not happy at Bayern Munich anymore and he wants to come back to Italy and Juventus is the ideal situation for him. I know he was there almost 20 years ago um, and Milan's in his heart, but if he looks, if he's handed the keys to a European champion and a, you know, a team that might be good enough to go out and do it again, why would he turn it down? Yeah, I mean it is that is a possibility, but I think with as far as Enchilade goes, he would want to he'd want to stick out the project at Bayern Munich and and prove that he can win there by himself and cuz if he had if he goes if he went to Juventus and won the title there, all they would say is, "Yeah, well, that was more Allegri than it was you." And he doesn't want that. He wants to prove that, you know, He's his own person. He can win his own titles and be the first, uh, you know, be the first manager to win, you know, three manage or three Champions Leagues with different team, three different teams, um, and show that you know, to people who said that Pep Guardiola is the best manager out there right now, that actually he is because he's actually took a team that Pep couldn't win a title with and won a title. So I don't see as much as Ancelotti would be in most people's eyes a good fit for Juventus. I think he's better better off served staying in Bayern Munich, and I think he would ultimately stay in Bayern Munich. At least for another season, uh, Laura. I just see that. I'm just answering that from a prestige standpoint. I mean, and you're you're talking about uh, trying to win a Champions League with three different, you know, three different teams, Richard. I mean, I mean, how much more of a legacy does Ancelotti need to need to leave? He's won league titles in five different countries. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I don't think Ancelotti at this stage in his career has got much to prove to anybody. I think. I think, like you say, though, there there is that temptation of the Champions League and being able to do what Pep Guardiola couldn't do. Um, I I don't think the Juventus job would hold much uh, allure for him. I, I think he's done everything there is to do in his home country as far as management goes. I think he'd be more potentially uh, looking at you know, even something like going back to Spain if there was a job there because he never won La Liga with Real Madrid even though he did win the Champions League. Um, something like that. But I, I, I agree with Richard. I think I think he'll stick it out at, at Bayern Munich for at least another season, maybe another couple seasons. His next move, okay. his next move is probably going to be the national team for Ancelotti, that is. That would be my guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's pick up. Let's 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 each pick a manager that we think could possibly fill the the Juventus manager position. Should should Allegri leave? Let's come back to the topic a little bit. Laura, who would who would who would you say? I know in your heart you want as it you know if you're Tina fans in the heart would want Paulo Sosa, but who would you say? <laughs> uh, I actually think somebody we've not mentioned who has had a great season. I don't know the politics behind it. I, I'm not going on tactics or anything, but just basically on a a manager who's on form and who I think might be able to do a good job is Gasparini at Atlanta. Okay. Uh, Richard? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, 
I'm kind of going to go with you and uh, Eusebio Di Francesco. You took mine. Yeah, I know. Uh, you, you, you convinced <laughs> me. You were so convincing that, you know, you took me away from what I was possibly thinking, which was Souza, and f- it would be good for the rest of the league if Souza took the title, took the, took the reins <laughs> at Juventus. But, uh, right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lining up. I think I'm lining up Di Francesco as the next Fiorentina manager. So, um, uh, that's where I, 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 I don't know if, uh, I kind of find it hard that he would be willing to make that big a leap uh, in his career, um, but but we'll see. But yeah, you take you took mine. Damn it! Now I got to rethink this. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. Um, I'm gonna say Montella, just for the sole reason that I think, and and this hurts me as a Milan fan because I think Montella has been very good. But I think there's going to start to be some unrest with the ownership group. There's going to there could be some unrest with how the results have been here in the run-up. Um, and you know, Montella was sacked from Fiorentina in quotation marks. Um, Laura, do you think he sacked himself from Fiorentina with some of the those comments that he made? Uh, I think. I, I think it certainly didn't help, but um, they weren't performing all that great under him either. So I think it's just been a combination of the two. Yeah, boy. All right, I'll. Um, oh, it's just it's it. You know who's out there after that? I mean, because they're going to hire an Italian. I don't think they'd bring somebody with, you know, somebody somebody outside of Italy, uh, you know, to take uh, to take the position. Gasparini's an excellent choice from you, Laura. Um, you know, Richard, you went, you took my answer with Eusebio De Francesco. I'll just go with, you know, I'll just go with Eusebio De Francesco because I said it first, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, 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 that, that's where we'll go with this. But, uh, Juve can pull a rabbit out of their hat if, if something like this happens. So, um, okay. Uh, great question, Gavin. Thanks. Uh, th- that's, that's about the best we can do with that. Let's move on to the rest of the slate. Uh, also on Saturday was Napoli three, Cagliari one. There's Aiden Jekyll, there's Gonzalo Higuain, there's Andrea Bellotti, we've all talked about. Does everybody remember Dries Mertens? Gulam, il cross basso, Mertens, si butta dentro Amsic, Mertens va a calciare! Dries Mertens, 2-0 Napoli, 2-0 Mertens! That and another goal for him in this one has taken his total to 24. Lorenzo Insigne also getting in on the fun as well. Mertens, limite, dentro per Insigne, posizione regolare, Insigne! Lorenzo Insigne, 3-0 Napoli! Questa volta, non sbaglia! And Diego Farias getting a consolation for the Sardinians. Uh, Laura, suddenly second place is looking like a lot of fun here uh, from here on out between Napoli and Roma. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a challenge uh, there for Roma when it was looking a little bit more tied up there for them. Um, I think the way it stands at the moment, there's only a point between them, um, Roma on 78 and Napoli on 77. So there's definitely a, a, a challenge there. And with Roma coming up against Juventus next week, Napoli have got a chance there to potentially leapfrog them. But having said that, I think second place is probably Roma's for the taking, um, just based on the form that they've been on recently. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, Richard. Where do you come in on this uh, for second place? Who who's looking the part to uh, to grab that second spot? Uh, you know, I was I was curious to see how Roma reacted today. Um, I think Roma are going to be able to hold on, pending what they do next week against Juventus. 
That's not fair. That's not fair. You can't do that. Obviously, that's not fair. Like I was going to say. You can't do that. You just. That's like, that's like, oh, well, let's see what happens against Juventus. And then when they lose, you're going to say, well, now it's Napoli. I'm putting <laughs> on the spot now. Well, I was going to say, what are you doing? Till, I was going to wait till the end of the season and be like, well, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they, I, they, I, host, they, they host Juve. They go to Kiev. Well, Kiev doesn't care anymore. And they host Genoa. Now that Genoa has survived, they're not going to care anymore. Their only hurdle so. is, is Juventus. And I ultimately think Juventus, or, um, Roma are going to be able to hold on to second place. Because I mean, Napoli are on fine form right now, and they're they're putting a lot of pressure on Roma, and, and I think you know Roma are going to be able to hold them off just barely, and maybe get like a one point, um, keep one point in separation between you know them and Napoli. It's going to be tough. Napoli, it's going to be tough. Napoli's Napoli's at Torino, Fiorentina at home, and Sampdoria away. So it's not like Napoli have. I mean, they they'll have their challenges um, with those three teams. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, I could, you know, could certainly see, I could certainly see that happening. I mean, I could also see, you know, Sampdoria, you know, getting to that last game against Sampdoria and Sampdoria don't care anymore. And Torino are really in it to get Belotti his goals and, uh, you know, Fiorentina away, uh, you know, I mean, Napoli's home against Fiorentina and, you know, it's at the San Paolo. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and say that Napoli will get, uh, seven points, and then Rome, actually yeah, seven six. And then it's going to be tied, and it comes down to goal difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Shoot, I can't do that. So, um, make it easier I'll, yourself. I, I, all right. Well, I'm with Laura. I'm I'm going to say Napoli. All right. Well, we're going to have to look at this at the end of the season, see who wins, huh? Uh, the slate of uh, the multi calcio games, let's call them. Uh, is one, two, three, four, five, six games going on. Uh, at the same time, uh, we will start with Empoli, a big game for them and a big result for them in their survival hopes. They scored three goals. You heard that right. Empoli scored three goals. Can you believe that, Richard? Wait, with three goals? Are you sure this is Empoli, a game? Empoli scored three goals. Jeez. What's the world coming to? Well, they played Bologna. Oh, well, that explains it. 3-1. Three, three uh, it was uh, Daniele Croce of Empoli and Simone Verdi of Bologna. Great goal from Verdi, by the way. Trading goals in those first 11 minutes. Then, in minute 38, this screamer from Mario Pasquale. Arriva Pasquale, vede la porta, il tiro! E il gol! Manuel Pasquale! Splendido! Gol col Mancino al 38esimo minuto! Andrea Costa netting in the second half to keep the little Tuscan side safe for yet another week. I think that's all we need to say about this game right now. Can we move on? Please Let's do. move on. Yeah, sure. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are going to start. These next three games are going to be uh, 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 kind of a um, – this is our batch of uh, games that involve old men scoring goals. You guys ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kievo 1, Palermo 1. Sergio Polissier is going to start out our run of old men scoring. Pellissier sul dischetto, parte Pellissier con il destro, rete, il vantaggio del Chievo. His penalty put the hosts in front before Goldanega equalized for the Rosanero. Palermo pretty much relegated at this point. I, I think they're officially relegated, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, uh, Genoa 1, Inter 0. Uh, I'm sure Suning now has Diego Simeone on speed dial. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> Inter have completely fallen flat. Today's loss against another team on a free fall themselves, Genoa, who we've been talking about, uh, a team that hit the beach. 
but all of a sudden mustered up the courage and put on a performance and it heated up Stefano Pioli's hot seat. And to make it worse for Inter, uh, and to continue the old man scoring theme, it was former Interman Goran Pandev netting the decider. Gosh, Kondreva missing a penalty, Kondogbia getting sent off. I mean, uh, uh, have you seen more of a house of cards than Inter, Laura? I, the whole Inter thing absolutely baffles me this season because... I, for one, was quite excited to see what Frank de Boer could come in and do at the start of the season, which now seems like a long time ago, I'm sure, if you're an Inter fan. Um, and they seemed to pick up under Pioli when he came in, but it just seems to have all collapsed around them. Um, and I don't really know why. I think they've got a team with talent. They've got good attacking uh Threat in Icardi and Perisic and Kandreva. Kandogbe has had a better second half of the season than he did first half. But they're just quite simply conceding far too many goals. I mean, even looking at the Fiorentina match that they had a couple of weeks back, the 5-4, there's no game really that Inter should be scoring four goals and still losing. Mm. So I think that's where... I think that's where they're having their major issues is they're just leaking far too many goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the defense is still uh, rough uh, to watch. I mean, and it just, uh, I, I made the comment, uh, I can't remember whose tweet I, I retweeted or responded to, Richard. I said, you know, watching this game, it just seemed to me that Mauro Icardi and Ivan Perisic looked like the only two players for Inter that cared. Yeah, and then they've been the you know two best players for Inter all season. You know they've both been very, uh, very good on the attack and very good overall. But that seems to be where it stops for Inter because everybody else has been hit and miss, um, which is unfortunate for those two players because it makes their stock go down. Because you you know you go as your team goes, so that's yeah, a little bit unfortunate for Inter. <laughs> They're the only two who cared, and Pioli took Icardi out of the game, um, so. Figure that one out. It just a, it's 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 a mess at Inter. It's it's it is the closest thing to a telenovela that uh, Syria have, um, and even telenovelas are blushing at what <laughs> at what's been going on at Inter this season. So, uh, and to finish our old man scoring roundup, Lazio seven, Sampdoria three, uh, Fabio Quagliarella. Speaking of old men, netting a brace for the visitors. That was after uh, the hosts hit Sampdor- the Sampdoria net. For seven, we already mentioned that Richard Carmen was in goal for Sampdoria today. Put in a cameo. Um, it's a bad day when both center backs score against you. Wesley Hart and Stefan De Vries each scoring. Also involved were Keita, Lulic, Felipe Anderson, and a brace from Ciro Immobile. Immobile in area, Immobile! Arriva al 7-1 della Lazio sull'assist di Keita. La doppietta di Ciro Immobile. That second goal, a move indicative of Lazio's form, um, also indicative of Sampdoria's lack of interest in defending in this game. Somewhere in there, Carol Anetti uh, scored for Sampdoria. Uh, Lazio on their way to the Europa League. Uh, clearly, uh, Champions League places are out of reach, seven points out of third, but, uh, um, you know, nonetheless, a very good performance. And Sampdoria, very dis- I was looking forward to this game. Obviously, it gave us goals. Um, it gave us 10 goals, but I didn't think that 
you know, I, I thought we'd see a tighter. I, I, I thought we'd see goals. I thought we would see a tighter game, unfortunately. So, um, especially with some of the form that Sampdoria has been showing. And uh, you start to wonder if Sampdoria is now one of these teams that is getting ready to just hit the beach with, uh, uh, with three games remaining. Uh, Sassuolo 2, Fiorentina 2, Nikola Kalinic took notes from Federico Benedeschi on how to take penalties, and then Federico Chiesa spared Kalinic the blushes. Spazio per il tiro, poi cerca Borcavalero, palla di ritorno verso Chiesa, e buono Chiesa! La Fiorentina passa con Federico Chiesa! The Nero Verdi would rally though, and equalized with Matteo Polizzano, showing La Viola how to take a penalty. In five minutes from time, menace to opposing goalkeepers everywhere, Pietro Iamello putting the host ahead. Who the hell is Pietro Iamello, Laura? <laughs> We do that sometimes when, it, when an obscure can't name comes up and scores. We just say, who the hell is that? So, uh, but that puts him in. <laughs> yeah. I know he's an Italian international. He's, he's traveled around a little bit, and he's, he's been on as a substitute for, um, for, for Sassuolo and a handful of games this season, and I think he played, for La, he played one game for La Spezia last season. I, I did my homework this time because before we had Simi and we had uh, Yonita from Cagliari, and I didn't know who they were. So at least I'd try to read up on this guy. Um, so that's about as much as I know as Imelo. He put Sassuolo ahead, but they couldn't hang on as it was Federico Bernardeschi rescuing a point for La Viola. Bernardeschi in area, Bernardeschi cerca la conclusione e trova un gran gol. Federico Bernardeschi per il 2 a 2. Great goal, too. And lucky for La Viola, he didn't have to take a penalty in this game. Uh, Let's move on. Pescara nil, Cortone won. Cortone keep their survival hopes alive on a, on a goal from Alexander Tonev. Nalini. Prova il tiro, Nalini. Passa in vantaggio il Crotone. Ma che gol. Mamma mia, il gol del vantaggio. Il gol del vantaggio. And I don't want to talk about this game anymore, guys, because we got to get on to the next one, and I just want to get through the misery. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, let's keep going. Okay. All right. Um, with a lump in my throat, Milan 1, Roma 4. All about Aiden Dzeko. Matte Paredes. Cerca il colpo di testa di Aiden Dzeko. Doppietta. E la Roma raddoppia. 0-2 a San Siro. E adesso sono 27 i gol in campionato di Aiden Dzeko. A brace for him. Uh, and then an old face for Milan uh, rubbing salt into the wounds. Battuta di De Rossi, la sponda di Dzeko per El Sharawi! Stefan El Sharawi, il gol dell'ex! Milan 1, Roma 3! Stefan El Sharawi getting on the score. She didn't even matter that Mario Pasolic scored for Milan. And then Gabriel Paletta doing what Gabriele Paletta does, getting a red card, doing something stupid, giving up a penalty to Daniele De Rossi, and that's how the game ended. Uh, Roma get back in front on 78 points. Um, Laura, if Gigi Donnarumma was not the goalkeeper for Milan, this could have been 10 to 1. Would you agree? Uh, I hate to break it to you guys, but yeah, it really was that bad. It was constant Roma attacks, uh, apparently no Milan defenders whatsoever on the pitch, and Donnarumma doing his best to keep the ball out of the net at all costs. But like you say, without him, I think you were definitely looking at double figures. Richard, I saw the team news and I saw the back four. Decilio, Paletta, Zapata, and Vangioni. <laughs> and I said, um, we're in trouble. 
<laughs> I mean, you don't have to look past Zapata and Paleta to know that you're in trouble. Jeez, I mean, like I was saying last week, you and I could play defense better than those two cats. Man, they're they're just bad news bears, and you knew someone's going to get a red, and of course, it always had to be Paleta. And you know, we talked about this a little bit off the pod here, uh, Laura. It's becoming more and more evident. Milan need to turn somewhere else to striker. Uh, Lapadula, a great story for Brescia last season. It's not Brescia, excuse me, Pescara last season. Uh, you know, and he scored a couple of goals, and he's kind of a little bit of a cult figure with the with the Milanisti, but it's he's not cutting it at this level. Yeah, not not delivering. Uh, I think. I think where the Milan fans are concerned, they're trying to make heroes where they can um, as far as mm-hmm. certain players are concerned. And if they want to um, sort of encourage him and uh, support him, that's that's where their energy is going. But he's certainly not of a Milan standard when you think of you know, all the great strikers going back even over the last 30 years. You've got Shevchenko, Wea, Baggio, you know, the list could go on, and I, I think he's certainly not of that ilk. But then most of most of the Milan team across the board are not of the ilk of some of the players that have worn the shirt in the past. Yeah, yeah. I saw. Uh, I don't. I saw an interview this week, this week. It was um, Patrick Cutrone, who's a uh, you know uh, an up and coming striker for the, for the Milan youth team, and they asked him, you know, who on the team do you idolize and stuff, and he said Lapadula, which is. You know, my boggling, you know, because as, as fans, you think, okay, I can see why they're reaching for him. But why is he reaching out for him? I mean, he could have said Baca. Yeah. He could have said anybody. He said, you know, Lapadula. And I'm like thinking, oh, that's an odd one. I mean, maybe he sees something that we don't in, in practice every day. But, man, that, that scratched my head when I heard that. This is where Galliani lost his touch, in my opinion. Um, when signing Lapadula, I think he was trying to look for a Jamie Vardy-like guy. Um, yeah. the problem is, is that Jamie Vardy worked because Lester had a system that allowed him to thrive and it worked. Milan, pl- Milan are attempting to play a different set of tactics, at least in attacking. They're more buildup and they're more possession. They're not as direct as Leicester city, you know, where, you know, Lapadula is as a, as a central striker in a system like Montella is trying to play, you know, is, has to do a lot more grunt work, yeah. uh, if you will. And uh, I don't know if he is set up for that. I mean, you know, Laura and I talked off pod. This Milan team is missing that's, you know, missing center center halves. I mean, this team desperately misses Alessio Romagnoli right now. Um, but they also miss that commanding center forward. I mean, Carlos Bach is 31. He just doesn't. It, 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 I think he's run his course with Milan and is not going to be back with the team next season. Uh, and I just. It's not working out with Lapadula, in my opinion. Um, you know, and and Delufeu, De the novelty has kind of worn off a little bit. Suso is trying to create and string some things, but it just, you know, it just, it it doesn't look cohesive. It just it it, it looks thrown together, and that's the that's that's the uh, those are the symptoms though of a of a team that just got new ownership that the, the product's going to be watered down so that the ownership can do whatever they want with it. So. Um, but let's talk about Roma because they were fantastic. Uh, and now Aiden Jekyll leads the couple con in Yadier Solora. Uh, we hinted about Higuain uh, and the form that he's in and that sort of thing. And uh, let's talk about Jekyll a little bit. We talked about their their run-in, um, you know, Juventus at home uh, next uh, next week, uh, which we'll preview a little bit here. Um, 
And then, uh, like we said, at Kievo and then Genoa at home, very tasty fixture list for a guy trying to win a scoring title, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Genoa was one of the teams that I mentioned. Uh, Atalanta had scored quite heavily against uh, in their uh, recent fixture. So that's definitely somewhere that um, Jekyll could fill his boots, as, as the phrase he would, might want to use. He could uh, certainly get a few goals. And I think one of the main things that supports him in getting as far as he has in terms of goals this season is his partnership with uh, with Salah. Yeah, they just seem to work so well together and uh, seem to provide as much for each other. I think I heard on the the game tonight the commentator said that Salah's got something like nine assists this season. So, and I I would hazard a guess that most of those are assists for Jekyll goals. So probably eight of them. Probably yeah. eight of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when you've got a partnership like that working so well together, you you can only think that he's going to go on and score quite a few more before the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, you know, very, very much agreed. Um, uh, I mean, just name a player for Roma. They stood out in this game. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, Salah and the Salah-Jekyll partnership obviously was was very much on display. Uh, but uh, Richard uh, Perotti getting a getting a run out, El Shirari, I mean, they just couldn't do any wrong. And when you see Roma play like this, why is Spalletti on the hot seat when they're capable of producing this kind of kind of kind of performance? Because when they have performances like this, they follow it up with a dud where they they clearly mm-hmm. should win, and then they look like crap. Um, so he's not very his teams aren't very consistent. But you know the potential is there in games like today is when they show up and you're like, wow, this is what this team really could do. If they did this on a consistent basis, it would be a very close scudetto race. But for some reason. Spalletti teams, they always falter, and it's always falter at the end of the season when it's uh, too late. Do either of you see Spalletti's body language, mannerisms, expressions on his face, even after the goals? He looks like a guy that, I mean, does it, does it, does it feel to you, Laura, like he doesn't want to be there anymore? Um, certainly you could argue that from the body language. I, I don't really understand why. I mean, he's... He's doing as good a job, I think, as he possibly could do, keeping the team within touching distance of a, a team as dominant as Juventus. You know, Juventus potentially could have run away with the Scudetto a long time before now if it hadn't been for what he's done with Roma. So I, I wonder maybe if he's just kind of feeling a little bit like there's not much more he can do and he might end up finishing the season with not much to show for it. That's perhaps where he's, his mind is at just now. Yeah, it could be. It could be something like that. It's just strange because there's the rumors surrounding it. Like Richard said, he put up a dud. They put up a dud in the Derby. They put up a dud at home against Napoli. You know, so they are they are capable of it. They did not put up a dud here. Um, so uh, it's just it's 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 a weird one to see. I mean, I think that he has done with Roma what he could possibly do, uh, and it's good just get back in the Champions League places. I mean, it's very clear that Juventus is going to win this title, and you know if they fail to win at home against Juventus, then it is clinched for the old lady uh, in match week 36 here next weekend. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just one of those things. Every time they, it, it looks like he's depressed after Roma scores goals. It's just kind of <laughs> what I got when I looked at him every time. And it's just like your team scored smile a little bit. Jeez. Unless that little chin here is weighing his bottom lip down and he can't move the muscles to smile. And he's something like that. I don't know. So, uh, but anyway, I, you, 
anything from the table, Richard, that you're keeping an eye on after uh, that? What happened here? Second place, obviously, going to be a dogfight. Sixth place, nobody seems to want it. Uh, Empoli v. Crotone. I mean, I think we're still all monitoring that with three games to go for everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, the game, the the spot that I'm looking for really is definitely the relegation battle. Um, can Crotone pull the miraculous and catch Empoli? Are Empoli going to stay hot and continue these multi-goal games? Uh, begin of the season, we were, if you told me in the beginning of the season that Empoli were going to be scoring two and three goals per game, I would have laughed at you. Uh, but they're doing it now. They're realizing now the the gravity of you know being relegated and not wanting to do that. So uh, it'll be very interesting from here on out. And I guess the other other battle I'm going to be looking at is which Milan team is going to is going to find a way to hold on to that last European spot. Um, neither want it clearly. Um, and that race actually looks much more pitiful than the rele- relegation battle. If you were watching right now, you would think that, you know, Crotone and Empoli were fighting for Europa League as opposed to the Milan clubs battling for relegation because they both look horrid at this point. Mm. Um, Laura, what do you think? I mean, I mean, sixth place looks like is going to be whoever gets it, they're going to back into it uh, the way they're going. Um, and then let me give you the uh, the, 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 uh, the run-in. Uh, for uh, Empoli and for Crotone, uh, and I think this is going to change everyone's opinion uh, as to whether or not, you know, maybe relegation might be decided. Um, Empoli, uh, hang, hang on. Okay, first of all, the bad news for Crotone. Udinese at home, at Juventus, Lazio at home. <laughs> A little daunting <laughs> if you're trying to make up four or five points, uh, you know, here with three games to go. Empoli. Uh, at Cagliari, Atalanta at home, at Palermo. Um, while we can probably say that this is still a relegation fight, there's a glimmer of it between these two teams. You just look at the fixtures, and if and if and if this was all done on paper, it's probably a done deal, wouldn't you think, Laura? Uh, yeah, I I was all ready to say, you know, I think we were talking about it before we came on tonight. Um. Crotone have got a, a, a form tape or a, a run of form similar to Juventus is something that I read somewhere and I was all ready to come on and say you know the potential is that they could get six points from their last nine um, and you know Empoli are on good form as well so you know I even was suggesting that maybe Genoa need to watch out because they are not on great form themselves but having looked at the run-in that you just mentioned there I think Crotone will be lucky if they get three points from their last uh, from their last three games, uh, especially coming up against Juventus and Lazio. So, I think they've maybe left it uh, a little bit too little, too late. But they have far exceeded the Serie A sit downs expectations because months ago Richard and I were debating whether or not this Crotone team was even going to get ten points uh, <laughs> total this season. So. They'll go down, but they'll go down with the thunderous applause because they've 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 given a they've given a terrific. I think Cotone has have really given, a, especially these last several weeks, they've given a terrific account of themselves. Just a pity that they found their legs a little too late, like you said. So, um, and now Capocannonieri, uh, this gets fun. We got Aiden Jekyll with his brace now pulling away from the pack at twenty seven. Belotti in neutral on twenty five. Iguain moving up at twenty four. Mertens moving up at twenty four. Icardi in neutral at 24, and then the Immobile brace at 22. Uh, still wide open with three games to go, and there's that magical match week 38, you know, with, uh, you know, putting guys in there to just try to rack up as many goals as possible to win that Capo Cananieri crown. Um, 
let's be bold and let's predict a Capocan and Yeti winner now with uh, with the six at our disposal. Uh, Richard, we'll start with you. Who uh, who walks away with this? Did you predicted Iguain at the beginning of the season? Are you sticking with him? No, um, I Jekko with the two goals today. I think he's going to be able to just squeak it out. Um, but I think Iguain is going to get get pretty close to him. I think, but I'm going to say Jekko. Okay, Laura. I'm actually going to go Iguain just based on our previous conversation that they've got Crotone coming up. Uh, potentially could have the title wrapped up by the time they face them, and then have uh, a Juventus team totally geared towards getting Higuain that uh, that top goal scorer position. So I'm going to go Higuain. Okay. Um, I've got to cast the deciding vote, don't I? He's the standard. We call him the standard. We've got to go with... I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you, Laura. I think Higuain's going to catch Jekyll and, and win this thing. That Crotone game at home. Um, I can't remember who Juventus' last game is against. Uh, they've got... They're, they're at Roma. Uh, this weekend, this coming weekend here, match week 36, hardly, you know, despite Roma looking really good against Milan, let's remind you that they did lose to Lazio 3-1 the week before, so they're hardly the, uh, they're hardly an airtight defense, uh, you know, and one that Iguain can exploit, and Iguain did score on them uh, the first time they met at the J this season. So, uh, so Laura and I are with Iguain. Uh, Richard has uh, flipped, and he's gone to Jekyll. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, go to at Syria sit down on Twitter or, or Instagram and give your opinion. All right. Uh, let's get into a Q and a with our guest, Laura Bradburn, who recently penned a piece on the greatest player to ever play in the English premier league. Richard, do you want to take a guess at who that might be? Ooh, does his name start with a Z? The last name does start with a Z. Gianfranco Zola. Yes, we think he's the greatest to ever play in the Premier League. There's going to be some people talking about some guy named Cantona or uh, Alan Shearer. Never heard of them. Like that, Never heard of them. No. Uh, <laughs> ordinary players that, you know, back when, you know, back in those days when it wasn't even, it, you know, it wasn't even the game we see today, you know. Mere but, mortals uh, compared to this guy. You know, uh, we're talking about we're talking about a guy that, as far as the Premier League was concerned, uh, you know, Laura. Let's just kind of get the back, give give a little background on Zola. Um, would it be an understatement to say that his style and the way he played uh, when he arrived in the Premier League, when he played for Chelsea, uh, a bit of an understatement to say that he was ahead of his time? Uh, I would say if he. Uh, he was perhaps ahead of his time and if he wasn't ahead of his time he was definitely a revolutionary within the English game um, he arrived in England at a time when uh, foreign signings in general and by that I mean non-British players were uh, seen as very exotic you know the, uh, the Premier League nowadays is more players from overseas than it is British players but at the time Zola came he was one of uh, very few signings of that kind. So he brought a style of play to the game that a lot of fans in England had never seen before. And uh, for that reason, I think he perhaps holds a slightly higher place in people's minds and hearts than than other players that have come after him. 
And we, of course, are saying, because he's Italian, he's the greatest to ever play in the Premier League. I mean, these Italians, when they go to the Premier League, they just do it better than everybody else. Look at the managers now. So, I mean, <laughs> Walter Mazzari excluded. Uh, but, um, you know, but, uh, but anyway, um, I, th- this was an excellent read. I enjoyed reading this, Laura. Um, oh, thank I, you. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to know what in particular um, did you find most interesting when you were you know, going back and kind of doing your research on the buildup, you know, to Gianfranco Zola's arrival in England. Yeah, I think, I think I touched on it quite a little bit in the piece. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the fact that um, for a player who'd achieved as much as he had, uh, he'd won the Serie A with Parma, he'd won the UEFA Cup with Parma. Um, uh, He was just one of these... uh, players who had achieved so much before he came to England and yet people didn't seem to give him that uh give him that uh respect that he deserved. Um and I think he I think he perhaps came to England having a reputation that was slightly more negative than the one he deserved. Um his uh international outs outings that would be the make up the majority of what pe- people on British shores had seen of him before he came, didn't paint him in a very good light, and therefore um, they were ignoring his achievements back in his domestic game, both for Napoli, for Parma, um, and and around that time. Laura, you said that you know you were you were talking about Zola, his impact on Chelsea in particular. Um, it wasn't just his on the pitch performance that you know kind of helped his team get better. It was also his off the pitch stuff, especially stuff in practice, wasn't it? Yeah, he. Um, there's multiple um, examples. Michael Jubery, the defender, Gustavo Poy, one of the midfielders who played with him. They said that on a technical level, he was one of the best players that um, that they ever played with. But uh, on top of that he made them feel like they could be better players than themselves, just helping them with training, um, doing exercises with the younger players that some of the other more established players felt was beneath them, and just creating an attitude of uh, of harmony around the club and an attitude that hard work is what's going to bring you success, and that's something that a lot of the players reflecting on his time at the club afterwards have said they've taken away from uh, working with him as much as any of his skills on the pitch. You know, going through the article, uh, you brought up a couple of moments of notoriety uh, in Zola's time with the Italian national team. Uh, you know, unfortunately, two moments that I remember very uh, regret. You know, very regrettably. I mean, it's not the—they're not the first things I think about when I think of Gianfranco Zola. I think about his class. I think about his skill and, and what he brought on a pitch. Uh, but you know, he had the red card in USA '94 against Nigeria. Um, and then the penalty miss at Euro 96 against Germany that had he made that Italy would have gone through, it would have been Italy going through to the quarterfinals, uh, and not Germany who went on to win that competition. Uh, and unfortunately those are the moments that he's most remembered for in his time with the Azzurri. Um, are these the moments, are, are moments like these are what kept him in the background for most of his Italian national team career and behind the likes of Roberto Baggio and Alessandro Del Piero? Um, I certainly don't think they would have helped, uh, given that, you know, at two of the biggest stages of our opportunities that he had in 
the blue shirt of his national team. Um, he, he appeared to fail, if that's the right word to use. But I think just looking at it more generally, like you say, um, players of Del Piero and Baggio's class are there at the same time as him. And in the system that Italy played around the time, they only needed one number 10. And when you've got Del Piero and Baggio, who are two of the best number 10s in the world, uh, Zola could be an amazing footballer, and he was, but he's never going to get anywhere near the team with two players like that in front of him. Um, It's part of a wider conversation that I've had with a a few people about national teams in general. You know, people reel off a list of players who don't get the number of international caps for whatever nation um, and say, well, why didn't that happen? And I think it comes down to one thing, and that's that the national side is not... 11 of the best players of that country. It's got to be a team made up of 11 players who will work as a team. And so if you were putting out an Italy side at any point during Zola's career that was just the 11 best players in Italy, he probably would have gotten every time. But the fact that he had a very specialised role and there were two players who were not only just the best players around at the time but probably two of the best players of their generation or of all time he was just unfortunate to be playing at the same time as those two and that's probably what affected his um, time in the national team let me follow up on this real quick Richard I know you have a question yep um is part of the problem that you know most of these years we're talking about we're talking about Arigo Saki as the manager um and you know Richard and I know Arigo Saki is Pressing 4-4-2, doing it the Milan way. When he came over to the Italian national team, he said, we're doing it the Milan way. So, uh, you know, so there's only one number 10, like you said. Is is, is he also a victim of uh, a lack of flexibility on Saki's part? Where, okay, you could have your strong back four. You could have your defensive system. But certainly you've got to be able to have room in your system for two playmakers. You can put, you know... You know, a Baggio or a Del Piero occupy, you know, one half, you know, one half of the width of the pitch, and then Zola occupies the other half. Uh, is it just a is it is an issue of just stubbornness on the part of Saki that they didn't they didn't even think about that? Well, I guess um, Saki was such a it was so keen on his way of working that if there was any one element of a player's game that didn't match what he wanted, they would immediately be out. What I will say about Zola is though he was very much a team player, he was very much a a skillful player, he was very much an entertainer, I think maybe what Saki would have wanted from him was a slightly more defensive side to his game when it was required which is something that uh, I don't know was one of Zola's strengths, and that's perhaps what contributed to him not um, gaining a place in the team. Okay. Um, So, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of new fans these days in sports. There's definitely the new Barcelona fans. We, Milan, know there's new Milan fans. Um, There's certainly the Chelsea fans who think, if you talk about history, they they think Drogba, John Terry, uh, Frank Lampard, they're the guys of history. Why Why should the Chelsea fans... No, look back at their history and, and really look at this guy, Gianfranco Zola, and why he was so instrumental in wh- how the team has been shaped today. I mean, it's, his mentality absolutely has you know changed the, the way the club has gone from, from when he was at the club till now, right? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm old enough to remember when Chelsea were not uh, one of the richest clubs in the world. They were not even a particularly fashionable club. They um, weren't winning titles. I think they'd only won one title in their history before uh, Zola came to the club, or one top flight title anyway. Um, what I think Zola represents for them was the start of that journey to becoming a truly multinational, multicultural, entertaining footballing team that um, that really changed the way that they played and made them one of the most uh, enjoyable teams to watch in England. Um, they've they've since had uh, managers like Mourinho who've maybe made their brand of football slightly less entertaining but Zola and the players and the managers around him at that time certainly put Chelsea on the path to becoming this kind of international football team that they are now mm, interesting um I my follow-up uh you know from 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 earlier question we talked about the build-up and talk about the kind of the and you touched on it in the article the uh the reaction in England to Zola arriving and what they knew about him and what they kind of remembered of him from, from Euro 96. I'm interested if you, you, you know, in your thoughts on what you noticed from the Italian side of things, because when you, I mean, you look at the USA 94 team and you look at most Italian national teams, everybody plays their club ball in Italy and in Syria. So then when you had after the 96 season, you had Viali and Rabinelli going off to the Premier League, Viali to Chelsea uh, Rabinelli to Middlesbrough, um, you know, so there was at least a little bit of a precedent for some reaction to it. But what was what was the perception from Italian fans when when Zola made this move? Well, I think um, what's worth remembering is when Zola made the move, um, he was actually 30 years old at the time. He did end up playing for s- mm-hmm. seven more years at Chelsea. So perhaps by the time he went to Chelsea, his time with the national team was already coming to an end. But I think it is an interesting point. Um, that applies to Italy more than a lot of other nations is that there are certain situations where they would certainly ignore players who played outside Italy. There were managers who stated as much um, and were even seeing it today with uh, the the guy who plays for Toronto. I can't remember his name. Giovinco. Giovinco, yeah. he's, uh, He's been excluded purely on the basis of where he plays. And although I don't think it's as much of a problem as it is nowadays, I think over the years, certainly Italy have been one of these teams who their best players have stayed at home. Uh, The managers have liked it that way. And certainly some Italian players have suffered for having gone overseas, even if it has made them a better player to have done it. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, and to that point, I mean, at the time Ventura said it, he also uh, had Graziano Pelle in his camp who was playing in China. So it's just like, yeah. it, it just felt like a double standard when it was said at the time. Slap in the face for us domestically here in the United States uh, in Canada is, 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 you know, wanting to see that league be, seeing this league be successful. But, you know, to that interesting point, uh, Laura, give a, give a quick capsule or give a quick, uh, you know, uh, a quick drop of information to our listeners for where they can find this article. Uh, yeah, so you can find it as part of um, a wider body of work uh, from British writers who are focusing on Italian football at www.thegentlemanultra.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Gentleman Ultra and uh, get all of our pieces there. We've got 
everything from up-to-date uh, commentary on Serie A or uh, some more nostalgic pieces. And one thing that I would definitely recommend that you guys do is um, check out our Serie A alternative club guides, which are available through the Guardian uh, website as well. Um, that's one of the main pieces that uh, we've all contributed to and one of the really interesting pieces that you can go and look at on the site. Excellent stuff. Uh, you know, we're a fan of, we're at Serious Sit Down, we're a big fan of the Gentleman Ultra. We've had you on, we've had Mark Neal, we've had Blair Newman on. So, um, you know, we, we really like the work in particular. And you mentioned the uh, nostalgic pieces. Loved uh, in the build up to the uh, Milan Derby, loved the piece on Mark Hadley, um, uh, who scored, Englishman playing for AC Milan, who scored in the Derby. So, uh, thought that was a very good read, too. I mean, it's among, among a lot of great pieces. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll throw in a plug. I'm sure Richard Richard, you've been through the site plenty of times and yeah. have found some pieces there as well. Absolutely. So some uh, some some great stuff. So uh, you know, excellent. And this was a great piece on Gianfranco Zola and his story in the uh, in, in playing in the Premier League. The greatest player to ever play <laughs> in the Premier League, according according to Syria Sit Down. So uh, you know, great Q and A. Let's uh, look ahead quickly to match week 36. want to talk about a couple of games here guys uh you know before we go i mean we'll run through the quick list fiorentina host lazio atalanta and milan big game there between fifth and sixth uh inter sassuolo torino and napoli uh sampdoria chievo cartoni v udinese bologna v pescara cagliari and empoli palermo against genoa and the big one roma against juventus uh it is a big weekend for this fact that I think the two big games we can really, you know, sink our teeth into here is Atalanta Milan. If if Milan want to have any faint hopes of maybe catching Atalanta for fifth and an automatic uh, Europa League spot, so they wouldn't have to go through that, you know, late July, early August qualifier, um, and, and and maybe can plan on going on a preseason tour wherever they plan on going, uh, you know. And I think obviously the other one is Roma v Juventus. Uh, Absolute last chance saloon for Roma. Um, you know, Laura, give us your thoughts on the slate coming up. Yeah, I think um, obviously everybody will be looking at the Roma Juventus game as being, um, you know, a potential title decider there. Um, so that's the one that everybody will go to. But I'm really looking forward to, as I, as you might expect, the Fiorentina Lazio game because that yep. could have quite a little bit of bearing on exactly what happens with the European places and uh, that's certainly a result I'll be looking out for just to see if Fiorentina can push themselves a little bit up the table um, I doubt it though, the way Lazio are playing recently, um, Simone and Zaghi really seems to have have them going places and I'm sure they'll be pushing to see how far they can get towards uh, Napoli towards the end of the season well, let me ask you about Fiorentina while we're on the topic. I mean, we've been we've been saying for weeks that Paulo Souza's on borrowed time. Would you agree with that? Uh, that's definitely the opinion of uh, of myself and a lot of the Fiorentina fans that I, I, I converse with across Twitter. I think although he's got them uh, stable in terms of a top half Serie A club again, which is what everybody would want um, from a Laviola point of view, he's um, not providing the consistency that that most fans would want, I don't think, and definitely doesn't appear to be showing the kind of managerial ability that that any um, Fiorentina fans feel will get them pushing back towards the European places and p- potentially challenging for the Scudetto in a few years. 
Um, I don't think any of fans of the team would be uh, particularly sad if he wasn't there next season. Mm, okay. Uh, Richard, uh, Atalanta v Milan, uh, probably, you know, 56th. We've been talking about six being the position that nobody wants, but, uh, you know, Milan, if they want to get an automatic place in the Europa League, they have to win this one. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what it has to come down to. Um, but, you know, as a result of the last few weeks, are they up to the task? Do they even want that position? Well, we'll see if they can show up against Atalanta. Atalanta is a very formidable squad. Clearly, they were caught looking ahead to Milan this weekend, but uh, they'll be ready for Milan for sure. So Milan needs to, to bring their game. Um, am I confident that Milan can do that? I don't know at this point, actually. I think if they can get a point from this match... It would be a good result. I mean, ultimately, yes, you want three points so you can get, you know, try to get that automatic spot. But based on current form, I think they'll be lucky if they get away with a point. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. It's just been a, it's just been an absolute struggle here coming down the stretch. Uh, and then Roma, Roma v Juventus. Let's make a prediction on this. Uh, Laura, we'll start with you. Does the title get decided uh, at the Olimpico this this Sunday night? I think so. I think um, I, I would think that Juventus will uh, take away a win from the Olympico as well, as good as Roma have been playing. I think Juventus will just be too strong for them. I'm going for two one Juventus. Richard, what does what does Juventus need to win the title? Do they just need a point or three points to secure it this uh, weekend? Let's see here. If you look at the table, you know a point would worst case scenario have them. Uh, Six points up uh, with two to go. If you know Napoli, if Napoli beat Torino, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm, I'm gonna go with a draw. I'm gonna say one one. You're gonna say one one. Yeah. And, okay. And uh, I I'm gonna say that Juventus will win this one nil. They're gonna you know they're gonna get their business done here uh, against Monaco here in the Champions League second leg, and they're gonna go into the Olympico. I mean, from a competitive standpoint. You can take, you can clinch the title in front of the team that's been closest to you all season long. Uh, why wouldn't these guys want that? So, I mean, the alternative is, you know, getting a point, Napoli win, there's six points clear, and and uh, you know, clinching it at home uh, on match week 37 against Crotone, which is which is what they're going to do. But I think they're just going to go ahead and get it done uh, here Sunday night against Roma at the Olimpico, and then uh, when you get to match week 37, it's going to be a coronation of sorts uh against a, a Crotone team that's going to be headed to uh Serie B next season so um give us your predictions on Roma v Juventus uh at Serie A sit down or Instagram uh or any of the other games that uh, you're taking an interest in uh with that that's going to put a bow on this edition of Serie A sit down let's run through the social media check Richard where are they finding you you can find me at R underscore Carmen, K-H-A-R-M-A-N on Twitter. Excellent. And, and Laura, where can the uh, listeners uh, follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at LBrad88. Um, and I'll be sh- I can share my uh, pieces from the Gentleman Ultra, from uh, other sites that I write for, and my own personal blog, which is thecounterpress.wordpress.com. Excellent. Uh, excellent. And... Uh, Again, do check out these sites. Uh, a lot of great, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, you can find me at FTC underscore twenty one, um, and you can also go to at Syria Sit Down on Twitter uh, or Instagram. Uh, ask a question. Uh, want a topic covered? 
you know, go to any of these places. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, cover it for you in future sites. Uh, Laura, uh, much thanks. I know it's uh, very late uh, where you are right now. Hopefully you got to enjoy a pint and hopefully you got to enjoy some time with us. And uh, let's uh, uh, season's winding down here. So if we don't get you on before the season's up, we'll uh, definitely try to get you back in the frame for next season. What do you say? No, that's been great. Thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back. Okay, we'd love to have you back. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, and uh, again, that'll do it for this edition of Syria Sit Down. As always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Thank you.